This podcast is brought to you by Charles Morgan, CEO of First Orion Corporation and author of a new book entitled, Now What? The Biography of a Finally Successful Startup, published by Entrepreneur Publishing. Please listen to podcast number 700 for the full interview with author Charles Morgan. In Greg's interview with Morgan, they discuss his bumpy journey from the initial investment in his small startup to having to rescue the organization from near certain financial collapse, to taking over as a leader and spending nine years guiding the company to success in First Orion's mission of providing scam and spam protection to major telecoms. The real-life lessons that serial entrepreneur Morgan shares in his book and podcasts are sure to benefit entrepreneurs at all experience levels. Please listen to podcast number 700 with author Charles Morgan. And if you want to learn more about Charles's book, please visit www.thecharlesmorgan.com. Thanks for listening to this wonderful podcast with author and entrepreneur Charles Morgan about his new book, Now What? The Biography of a Finally Successful Startup. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Tim, as I do every time, I thank my listeners from around the world who continue to support this show and come on again and again and again. And I happen to eat mate Tim Fricky. And am I saying it right, Tim? Or is it just... Do you know what, Greg? It's actually just pronounced Freak, which I know freak. is an outrageous name to have, but there it's a good go. name. That, All right. It's an old West Country name in the England. All right. So, Tim Freak. Uh, I actually, most of my listeners know, um, I work in Encinitas and I work at a place called Union Cowork and actually he came there to speak as an invitation by one of our uh, co-workers there and did a tour here in the United States and just finished that a few weeks ago. And Tim is the author of over 35 books, but this particular book we're going to be talking with him about this morning is called Soul Story, Evolution and the Purpose of Life. Tim, good day to you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's lovely to speak to you, Greg. Well, it's lovely to have you on the show, and I don't think that too many of my listeners probably know you. And if they do know you, maybe they know you from the Buddha at the gas pump uh, uh-huh. interviews, if they do at all. So I'm going to let them know a tad about you. Uh, Tim Frick is a pioneering philosopher whose best-selling books and inspirational talks and life-changing, life-changing events have touched the hearts and minds of hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. He's the author of 35 books, translated into 15 languages, including top six Amazon uh, surprise bestsellers and daily telegraph books of the year. In his latest book, Deep Awake and Soul Story, Tim offers a revolutionary approach to awakening for the 21st century and a visionary new understanding of the nature of reality. Tim is the creator of Univigilism, a deeper way of living, and the founder of the international community of univigilism, univigilists. Uh, he's been exploring spirituality since a spontaneous awakening when he was 12 years old. So, Tim, uh, you got an interesting background. I've heard you speak, which I don't usually get that uh, benefit prior to doing an interview with some authors. So I have an advantage here for my listeners, which is a good thing. I think we ought to start at the beginning. You know, you had this spiritual awakening when you were 12 years old, and I know you talk about it in other books, and you don't really speak about it in this book. And you state that you were, you've been exploring this awakening state ever since. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about that 
and what got you where you are today? Well, I think there's a very there's a natural state which I call being deep awake, which is described all over the world throughout the whole of history. And I stumbled into it when I was very young, which sometimes happen. It can happen at any age. It happened to happen when I was young. Um, and and, and it, there's a shift in consciousness, or in one's state of consciousness, what one's conscious of, that happens. And it's marked by these, what I now know to be uh, common characteristics. There's a, an experience of profound communion or oneness with everything, a sense that the universe is one thing, you're an expression of the universe, and therefore you're connected to everything and everyone. And, and that, that's, there's a feeling with that. And the feeling is love or compassion that you there's an impersonal embrace of everything so when i had this when i was 12 it was very moving i mean uh, it was uh, 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 it sowed a seed i don't know it didn't last forever it wasn't like something permanent but it did make such a profound impression on me and i'd, I'd always found life profoundly mysterious uh, and and even as a young boy i still do every every morning i wake up with what the hell is this and as a young boy, I think I went so deep into that mystery, the shift happened. And that was the seed then which set me off looking, oh, what happened then? How can I get back there? How can I go deeper? How can I share this with other people? And one way or another, that's what I've been doing ever since. And it's led to the philosophy and practices I now call univigilism that you mentioned, which and the, the philosophical bit of that is in this, the book Soul Story that, that I was talking about when you um, came to see me in Encinitas. Yeah, and it, it is certainly a deep dive for most people, and I think I want to warm them up uh, because, you know, the way that you move through this process does require a little bit of kind of pulling people along to get them to really understand what you're talking about, Tim, because they're not all going to understand it initially. So your first chapter on emergent spirituality, you state that our contemporary society experiencing a soul crisis caused by cultural dominance of the objectivist science and the demise of outdated religion, which has left pretty much us adrift, you say, in a meaningless interview uh, in universe. You state the solution to the problem is emergent spirituality. In, if you could best explain what is it and why do you believe that this is the solution, and speak with, with us, if you would, about nature of time, soul, purpose, volition, death, and magic, as you refer it. Okay, well, that, 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 there's an awful lot there, Greg. So, um, well, you can, you can dissect I'll, that I'll, and I'll, do the best you the can essence. with that let me, go for, let, me go, yeah, let me go for the essence. You know, let's go back to, you, know, you asked me about what happened when I was 12. Well, one of the things which you could describe happened to me when I was 12, and I suspect it's happened one way or another to everyone who's listening to your podcast, is that you come out of your conditioning. Most of us grow up in a certain culture, we think in a certain way, and we think that's the nature of reality. But actually, we think it's only because we happen to be born at that time in history, at that particular place in the world. And if we were born any other time or in a different place, we would, we would absolutely be sure the world was a different way. And when you, when you wake up, one of the things that's happened is you come out of that, and you, you, you sense this profound mystery to existence. You don't know what this is. And then from that, you can look at your ideas, the way you've presumed it is, and see them in a new new way. Now, for a long time in the Western world, we were dominated by religious ideas, specifically Christianity, and that's the way people thought it was. The world was created in 4,000 uh, 4, years ago in seven days. There was a big God who was judging you in the sky the whole time, all of those sort of ideas. 
And that was just everyone believed that. So that was taken for granted. Now we've shifted for the last 400 years. Something brand new has come in and it's pushed that to one side and it's given us a much deeper understanding. And that is science. And that's given us the power to talk across continents. It's were utter miracles whereby uh, our lives are so much better. But there's been a price because science only looks so far. It looks at the material world. It looks what at what can be repeated so that it can do experiments on it. And it misses a lot of the things which spirituality addresses. So what I want to see is a movement on again. And when I was, I was recently giving a TED talk in, in Berkeley, and one of the things I, I focused on at that, which I felt was so important, was to go, look, I think another big change is coming just as significant as the arising of science was a few hundred years ago. And this new change is a way of understanding what reality is, which can incorporate uh, the depths of our scientific knowledge and, the, and a reworking, a re-understanding of the depths of spirituality. So that's what I'm, I'm wanting to do. Now, a lot of people are trying to do this, but often they don't address the really difficult issues. And the really difficult issues are things like life after death. So it's all very easy to bring science and spirituality together by going, oh, look, they both say everything's one. Well, that's true. And it's very easy to do it by saying, oh, look, there's a quantum level in which we can understand that strange things happen. And maybe this is something to do with spirituality. But what they don't do is they, they can address the nature of the soul and the idea that, that death is not the end. And that's absolutely central to just about every single spiritual tradition. And my experience of being around death is it's an idea we should take seriously. For instance, the other ideas you mentioned, they're magic. Um, most of us experience life as both very cause and effect um, and, and all the things which science describes, but also strangely magical, like synchronicities and all of those, that feeling that some things are meant to be. People say these things all the time, but they say them for a reason, because especially when you experience waking up, life becomes numinous sparkles it, it it's like fairyland can arise at any moment what is that is that just an illusion i don't think so so we, these are the things which spirituality adjust dresses and as a thinking person as a philosopher as someone who wants to understand the nature of reality i'm looking for something which can embrace both of those genuinely and i think what i've laid out in uh, in soul story is the beginnings of an understanding that can do that and it does it through this idea of evolution and the emergence of of of, uh, of reality over 14 billion years from the Big Bang to now. Mm -hmm. The difference between what I'm saying, and what science is saying is that science limits itself. It, it says, look, there was 10 billion years of the evolution of the physical universe. That's miraculous. And then from that, wow, came life. That is truly extraordinary. But it happened. And then. From life has come this other thing, the psyche, which we're experiencing thoughts in, something which in your direct experience is not made of matter. Well, the word psyche is the Greek word for soul. Mm -hmm. So what's come from matter is actually soul. And, and it's that level that spirituality has always been concerned about. Why, so why do you believe that? Basic that under the idea of emergence. Why do you believe that as a society, as we've grown uh you're talking so much about science why we've relied on science to help us find this solution because you know science basically distills everything down into logical sequential patterns and an opportunity to find uh a meaning of that or we're exploring something 
Why do you believe that it's that it's relied more on that? Um, you say you said in your book you state that nothing has done more to ameliorate humor and suffering than scientific method. Yet science offers us power, not purpose. And I get that. Um, but then again, we're living in new times, a new era, which is what you're proposing here. How are you blending these two? Well, I, what I want to do, first of all, you see, I, 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 don't, I, I don't want to come in just being critical of science because science, as I said there, you know, it, it, it came in and removed the superstitions which kept us suffering. One must remember, you know, religions have opposed the use of anesthetic. Religions have opposed the use of the um, uh, all sorts of, of things which have relieved suffering, contraception. Oh, God, the list is endless, actually. But what, what science has done is come in and gone, you know, when people suffer, it's not just the will of God and we should accept it. It's not just their karma and we should look down on them. And when someone's born deformed or is unfortunate, we shouldn't go, oh, it's a punishment for something. We, we swept all that hor horrible ideas away and replaced it with something which was which was rational and compassionate but it only goes so far and what i would like to see is a rational spirituality grow out of it so that we can understand some of the deep perennial truths around awakening around the fact that that life does have a magical quality to it and around immortality these ideas which i've been exploring alongside science and purpose is one of those and I'm happy to go into, you know, choose one and we'll dive in um, because they all of them, I think, can be understood through this. What, what I, in the book I call this emergent spirituality. The problem with science is it's reductionist. What it does is it goes, let's take the phenomena that we're having like now. This isn't really two psyches, two souls having a conversation. It's just the brain. It's just chemicals in the brain. And if you love your wife, it's not really love. It's just chemicals in the in the body. And it reduces everything to the lower level, or it, or it can do. That's the common version of science that people buy into. What, what I'm proposing is a new thing, which science itself has come up with, which is emergence, that actually what we've seen over these billions of years that the universe has existed is the constant creation of higher levels of reality. And the, the higher levels can't be reduced to the lower levels. You know, we can think of, just think now if there was if I was talking to not you, but the but a pile of all the chemicals that make up your body, we wouldn't be having a conversation. So you're clearly more than just the chemicals that make up your body. And that's an emergentist idea. Mm -hmm. So what I'm suggesting is that everything has emerged into greater and greater levels, leading to the emergence of soul. I'm not certain if you went to the bulk of the people that are in the spiritual community, maybe not religious. So let's look at the difference because the dogma associated with religion and the way in which that's espoused is completely different to the people that have uh, come along in the emergent new forming of looking at both of these. And then you ask the reader to examine what I would call present reality and the relationship with time. Um, time is one of the things that you address in the book. You state that we experience reality as this ever-changing time stream. Um, what do you mean by the concept of this ever-changing time stream? Well, one of the fundamental ideas that I have is to say, look, we, first of all, that we need to see that time is not some illusion. Time is the nature of reality because that's what we are experiencing all the time. There is never an experience had by anyone ever 
that isn't of time. One thing follows another. That's the nature of reality. In fact, even further, you could go, the idea of anything static is the illusion. So what exists is only processes. You and I are processes in time. Everything is. You, you, everything is, is growing and decaying, and even mountains. So everything is a process, is a stream. And we're experiencing that stream of time right now. Just look, just look at what's before you is a stream of ever-changing experiences. That's the nature of reality. Well, what we now know is that time stream has been uh, continuing from the birth of this particular universe 13.8 billion years ago. It has been flowing. And in that flowing of time, new things have emerged. So here's a fundamental key thought, which I'll just jump in with and see what you make of it. When I face the question, what is this that we're experiencing right now? My response is, this is the realization of potentiality on ever more emergent levels. And I say that because I think you can see it right now. Your listeners can see it right now. They can see it with us. That every moment realizes a new potential. It's something new. And that's been going on for 13.8 billion years. And it started with very simple potentials, like the original universe was mainly just hydrogen. And from just hydrogen has evolved the whole physical universe. And from the physical universe has evolved all of the, all of the forms of life. And from the forms of life has evolved this other level of psyche, a realm of ideas, a realm of, of, of uh, an abstract, non-material realm which we're experiencing right now. That's so let, the me, closest we're in. let me ask you this question, Tim, to kind of make it a dialogue here. You, um, something that arises for me is you say the potentiality, because as individual souls walking the planet, our potentiality is heightened by our level of awareness. So I want to talk about awareness for a minute because you address it during the talk. And there are many souls that are walking the planet that aren't very, don't have heightened awareness. Um, speak with us, if you would, about heightening awareness, consciousness, and how it relates to helping us ever evolve and reach this potential. Well, one thing you can see has been happening through this vast evolutionary story that we're exploring is that the universe has become sentient and then eventually conscious through its arisen as these different strands of evolving time, if you will, these time streams it, in, in ever more emergent ways, and it's become ever more conscious. And then it's reached us. And we are also becoming ever more conscious. And and one of, we often talk about being more conscious. It's probably better to talk about being conscious of more. That actually what's happening is we're waking up and we're seeing more things about the nature of reality, about the nature of ourselves, about the nature of the past. So that the, there's a moment in that process where you can step out altogether. What happened to me when I was 12? And what happens there is you suddenly become conscious enough to recognize that actually, of course, you are the universe. You're the whole thing. And that's the awakening that people talk about, the deep awakening. And that, of course, you can go deeper and deeper and deeper into that and, and into this enormous love that arises with it. Well, the, that that is really your whole concept around Univigilism, individuality, however we want yes. to make reference to it, it is this oneness. Uh, but I believe that people move in and out of consciousness states of that uh, unification. 
that that isn't always yeah. a consistent state of awakening. Speak with us about how we might attain a higher level of connection with that. Because, look, if you have an insight of it one day, that's one thing. If you live it consistently where you've found a way to reach that or understand it, and I don't think it's, Tim, honestly, I don't believe it's a mental thing at all. It is, it's how the mind evolves, but once it reaches a current state of evolution to understand that that's what we are, I think it understands it. The question is, how do we sustain it? So you mentioned the idea of a univigil. So that's a word I've coined along with lots of other words that I found necessary to go, look, what's happening at the cutting edge of that evolutionary process now is, is the arising of individuals transforming into univigils. And univigils is a name I've given for individuals who are conscious of this profound unity. And that's happening a lot now. It's, that's, that's the cutting edge of this whole process and, and the whole purpose of it. Now, that is not something... So one of the things that marks out my approach to awakening is it goes that awakening happens through the individual, not by getting rid of the individual. You don't have to get rid of the ego. You don't have to remove your separate self. Actually, you have individuated into a human being through which you can awaken to these depths of oneness. Now, that is not a permanent state, and it's not a permanent state because nothing is a permanent state. All states of consciousness are in time and therefore moving and changing. So another thing that, that's very common in the spiritual world, especially it's an import from, it's an Eastern idea really, has come in is that there is some sort of click whereby you're over and you're done. And that comes along with this idea that you need to get rid of your separateness, get rid of your ego, get rid of your individuality. What I'm suggesting is the opposite. You need to nurture your individuality, form it so it's strong enough. And the stronger your soul becomes, the more it is able to sustain these deeper states for longer. It's not absolute. It doesn't mean you won't go to sleep at night and be unconscious. It does, everything's in flux. But it's, there's no doubt that the more the soul matures and the more you become, the, basically, the, the more you visit the deep awake state, the easier it is to find it again. Exactly the same as if you learn to play the piano. You know, the more you do it, the easier it is to do. And the same with this awakening. And you just need to keep returning to it. And, and what I do at my retreats and what I do in my events, my practical experiential events, is give people tools to do that. To, um, to get I've in touch with it. Meditation to do exactly that. Yeah, to be basically not just maybe have a momentary glimpse of it, but to get in touch with it for a longer period of times. But if you look over the eons of time, the masters that have come to this planet, whether it's Jesus Christ or it's Gandhi or it's whoever it is, they've kind of been teaching these principles to try and find this, uh, this altered state of consciousness. And you state that our brain and our psyche are intimately connected. So what's the relationship, in your estimation, between the brain and our soul? I think the, the I think the soul, the psyche, is a completely new emergent level of reality. So that people often think of the psyche as the the subjective side of the of the brain. I think the subjective side of the brain is actually sensation. I think what we have is a body, which is a certain level of emergence experiencing sensation, and then we have a soul, which has its own subjective and objective nature. And those two, at the moment, are living in a symbiotic relationship but they are not the same thing, which means when the body dies, the soul is able to continue. And an, an analogy that I use for that is if you think of the, um, 
information on a computer and information on the cloud. They're the same information, and they, they you know, you change something on the computer, it'll change on the cloud, but they're not the same thing, which means if the computer breaks or it dies, the information still exists on the cloud. And I think the level of the soul is like the cloud. It's non-local, it's non-material, and if you look at your actual experience of it, that's clearly the case. Now, Tim, scientists have attempted to uh, actually quantify the relationship of the body before death and right moments after death and the actual change in weight. We can read stories about that. So many people say, well, that's the soul. The soul left the body. That was the difference in it because scientists are reductionists and the reductionists want to bring it down to something quantifiable. In your estimation, where does the soul go? Uh, well, I'm not sure about the, the change of weight stuff. I, 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 I'm not sure that's true. Oh, it's, it's been written about. It's all over the place. But the point is, is that, you know, scientists are reductionists again. Let's go back to that. Yeah. They want to prove yeah. that something happens right immediately after death. Um, there's, this, uh, there's this scientific proof that you lose about an eighth of a pound. Well, okay, so you lose an eighth of a pound. I don't know if that's the soul or not. My question for you is where is the soul going? Okay, so I'm going to ignore the eighth of a pound thing. I, I find that very unlikely myself. The I mean, for all sorts of historical reasons as well. But let's leave that. Um, the the I think the key thing for me is the soul doesn't go anywhere. It's already is in this non-material realm right now. Right now, we are both experiencing a flow of sensation and a flow of imagination, a flow of, the, of, of being a body in the world, which is sensation, and actually being a psyche or a soul. Uh, which is a world made of images, and, and it's and it's not made of matter. Just in our experience right now, okay. so we're already in that. So we can say, what happens at death? Well, it, what I hear from what I hear from the spiritual traditions is, well, your experience of sensation that will cease. Your experience of the body will cease, but your experience of imagination will actually become deeper. Mm -hmm. So move into a collective dream, and I think that's exactly what's described by literally hundreds of thousands of people who've had near-death experiences. The, these experiences sound like dreams because they are, but they're not dreams in an unreal sense. They're actually the most emergent level of reality that it's taken us 13.8 billion years to get to. It's the latest thing that has evolved. And we're in it already. We're always in it. Well, there's this interesting conundrum I think most any listener would have between the realms of being in this world and the realms of being in a different world um, I've had hundreds of people on here speaking about near-death experiences and their psychic experiences. Yet, you know, if somebody out there, and there's a lot of people who would still say, I want proof, none of us can really give that proof. Uh, but you state that awareness is a formless present outside of our experience. You then state that if we spiritually awaken, we recognize the essence of the I as formless awareness is this where we experience formless spirit uh yeah i think we've, this is another another thing altogether i this is saying look there are there are in in the spiritual traditions if you take the western language it's true in all of them that we are body soul and spirit and that these are pointing to things which are absolutely obvious they're not theological concepts at root they've been theologized later and that what, it, what they're just describing our experience so again in our experience right now you me and everyone listening is experiencing sensation looking listening that's the body they're experiencing imagination 
memories, thoughts, all of that. That's the soul, the psyche. And then there's what's, what's the experiencer? What is the I that experiences both body and soul? And that the traditional name for that is spirit. And the spirit means essence, essence from essay to be. It's your being. There's an, there's an eye of being which is witnessing this moment unfold, this flow of imagination and this flow of sensation. And because it's the witness of every experience, it itself is not an experience. So it doesn't have a shape or a color or a sound. It's not a thought. It's a pure formless presence of being. And that's the great mystical understanding that at our root is this formless, formless potentiality. That's the essence from which everything has arisen. And it's the essence of what we are. So you talk about this uh, state of soul stream, you know, it's just this consistent, I'm going to call it evolution, so that our purpose is to realize the potentiality of this formless spirit by coming into form as a unique soul. Everybody out there is their own unique soul. So isn't the soul stream always evolving? Yeah, I mean, you, you started right at the beginning of our conversation, Greg, and you talked about purpose and me saying, look, science can't really address purpose. It's, it paints us in this purposeless universe, exists by accident. My, uh, my response is, look, it's not so much that the universe has a purpose. It's more that its purpose is intrinsic to what reality is, because reality is the realization of potentiality on ever more emergent levels in every moment. That's what's happening. And it's been happening throughout the whole of the life of the universe. And it's been happening throughout the whole of the life of you and me, too. So what is our purpose then? Well, we are the universe. And our purpose is to realize our own potentiality on ever more emergent levels. And that means looking within myself and seeing what's the potentiality that Tim has as a unique soul. Now, certain of those things will be the same for me and for you. We both have the potentiality to wake up to the formless oneness that we are in our depth experience that that big love bring that big love into the world help move us become individuals individuals who are aware of this immense unity that will be the same for both of us but how we do that what unique qualities we have to bring it in that will be different you do this podcast i'm doing books you know whatever and people out there will be doing a million things things which can seem small but they're not small because they're just intimate between one person and another they're really big and then others speak on a world stage. It doesn't really matter. Each one of us finds what we can bring by reaching deep in ourselves and and and, and manifesting, bring realizing what's within us. And that's that is actually to express the very nature and purpose that is the universe. Well, your book Soul Stream certainly gives our listeners an opportunity to explore uh, not only their own development of soul. Uh, but as you make reference to it, um, the soul stream uh, to awaken spiritually, um, to understand uh, what individuality is. And I'm going to recommend to all my listeners, uh, Tim, you say you're coming back again to the U.S. to do a tour here. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that, if you would. I'm coming back this time not to do a tour, but to do a a a individual's gathering, a retreat. And that's from the, it's in June. It's the 7th to the 9th of June. And it's at the Omega Institute in New York State, which is a fantastic 
um, um, well-respected venue. I'm very delighted to be invited back there again. And this is where I really focus not just on the philosophy, but on the actual experience. How can we actually experience for ourselves that deep oneness, that incredible love, and find our own soul purpose? And, and take it out into the world. And and I love doing that. That's my favorite thing is to see people just get the experience. And and then if people want to understand more of the of philosophy, there's an online course that you can actually go and just download an online course from my from my website, timfreak.com. Yeah, and we will put links to timfreak.com. Uh, we will put a link to that event at the Omega Institute in June so that people can sign up for that. I'd encourage all of my listeners as well. Uh, if you want to learn more about Tim and his other books as well, the 35 other books, go to his website, Tim Frick, and that's F-R-E-K-E dot com. Uh, you also can join the community and join his newsletter. As he mentioned, there are online courses there as well that you can pick up and take. Um, you go to YouTube. There's plenty of videos as well uh, with Tim speaking, so it'll give you an idea of kind of his style as well. So I'm going to encourage my listeners to uh, click on the link with inside of our blog to get Soul Story. And if you want, go and check out some of the other books. We'll have links to those as well. Uh, Tim, if you were to leave some parting words with my listeners regarding having them consider this state of current consciousness and the evolution of their consciousness into this uh, univigilism, uh, what would you want to tell them? I guess the thing which comes to me right now after this conversation, Greg, is to keep looking at the obvious, which is what's right in front of us, to see what a miracle existence is, to sense how old it is, to see this journey between life of life towards death as the miracle it really is, and to look deeply, to come out of all, to doubt everything, to step out of one's preconceptions and see it fresh, because in my experience, when we do, it comes to life. And there is this deep awake state waiting to be experienced in which there's this enormous, enormous love and this profound oneness. And uh, th the joy of sharing that with others is the greatest joy I know. Well, Tim, thanks for the lively discussion today and speaking with me and conveying your message to our listeners, the words of wisdom. Again, the book is called Soul Story, Evolution and the Purpose of Life with Tim Frick and um or freak i will make sure that i say that right i keep saying it wrong i'm sure because it's always hard to say freak when you're doing that but that's what it is yeah go, I know. go look go look for tim freak uh he's out there and i will tell you tim's not a freak what he's trying to do is get uh you to understand a little bit more about your own relationship uh, to the universe your emergent spirituality and how you are interconnected with all things. Uh, thanks for being on, Tim. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you, Greg.